If you would, open up in your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 15 through 19. Ephesians 1, 15 through 19 will be our text for today. The title of the message is Praying for Supernatural Knowledge. Praying for Supernatural Knowledge. Now, um, you'll, I'll explain why in just a moment, but I'm going to read from verses 15 through 23. I'm going to read that passage, but then we'll focus our attention today on verses 15 through 19. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, this is the word of God. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord for his church today. Praying for supernatural knowledge. If you can know anything, I want you to think about this. If you can know anything, what would you want to know? Not do anything, but if you can know anything, what would you want to know? Maybe you would want to know all the answers to your next math test or history test or the SAT, if that perhaps is coming up for you at some point. Maybe you would want to know how to get that girl or that guy to like you. Maybe you would want to know what the stock market is going to do over the next year so you could invest wisely. You might want to know how to get your child to eat his vegetables or how to get her to stop wetting the bed, perhaps. Maybe you would want to know how to, let's, let's dream big for a second, build a spacecraft that can take people to Mars or even beyond. Maybe you'd want to know that. Maybe you, want to, you would want to know why a friend or family member has perhaps grown distant in his or her um, affection. Maybe you would want to know how to cure a certain disease. You might want to know why a particular trial or tragedy happen to you or to someone you love. Friend, if you're like me, that list could go on and on and on. There's so many things that I would like to know. I like to know things. I'm, I'm a why person. I like to ask the question why. And now I get a taste of my own medicine with um, at least one child who loves to ask the question why. Um, you like to know things. I like to know things. But of all the things we can know, of all the things which we could grow in our knowledge of, there is one knowledge that is greater than all of them. And that is none other than the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. The greatest knowledge we could ever possess is the knowledge of God. There's no higher knowledge than the knowledge of God. And there's no knowledge that will change our lives in a better way and in a more lasting way than the knowledge of God. Knowing God is the greatest knowledge we could ever desire to have. And growing in our knowledge of God is the greatest pursuit that we could ever embrace in life. 
As A.W. Tozier so rightly said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Church Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 through 19 teaches us this. The blessing of salvation will move us to embrace a lifelong prayerful pursuit of knowing God better. The blessing of salvation will move us to embrace a lifelong prayerful pursuit of knowing God better. I want to briefly show you from the text where I'm getting that main idea statement for our passage today. And then as we do that, it's going to help us see the context of the passage and kind of a quick overview, a quick lay of the land of these verses here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. And then we'll dive a little deeper. So just a quick overview. First, uh, verses 15 through 23 are one long sentence in the Greek. And that's why I read all of verses 15 through 23 just a moment ago. And if you're sensing a little bit of deja vu, haven't you been saying that, Zach, for the past several weeks as we've looked at verse 3 through 14? It's one long sentence in the Greek. Yep. And I'm saying it again. This is another long sentence. There's no punctuation. It's just like one breath of what was in verse 3 through 14, a breath of praise to God. This is a one long breath of a prayer to God in verses 15 through 23. In fact, Ephesians is full of these long sentences. One of the unique characteristics of the Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So as we look at verse 15 through 19, we don't want to separate that really from what comes after that and the rest of the passage. And then next week, Lord willing, when we study verses 20 through 23, we want to make sure we connect that back to what we um, looked at today. But there's so much we're going to take a couple of weeks to look at this one long sentence. Second thing I want you to notice is that this sentence is a prayer Paul is praying. As I said a moment ago, he, he, he typically offers a prayer at the beginning of his letters. But one of the things that makes Ephesians a a little bit unique is that he doesn't start with his prayer. He started with the praise that we spent several weeks uh, looking at and studying. And then he moves to his prayer for the believers. But this was a habit. It was a, a good habit of the Apostle Paul. And it's something that we can learn from. He prayed for those believers that he knew, that he loved, that were in his life. Even if he was separated them by them um, uh, geographically. And so he Issues this long, this kind of long prayer about them. Now, third, I want you to notice that Paul introduces his prayer by saying, for this reason, for this reason, I'm praying is what he says. So what is, what is this reason? Namely, it is looking back at all of verses three through 14, and that is the blessings of salvation. So he's saying the blessing of salvation serves as the foundation for this prayer that I'm praying. If it's not for all that God has done in working our salvation and giving it to us, then this prayer makes no sense. But because of the blessing of salvation, Paul is able to pray this particular prayer. And so that's why I started our main idea statement by saying that the blessing of salvation will then move us to this type of praying and this desire to grow in our knowledge of God. So don't forget, please don't forget about all we've learned in verses 3 through 14 um, as we move into this next passage of Ephesians. Fourth thing I want you to notice is that what Paul prays for the Ephesian believers, he prays for them continually. Note in verse 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you, remembering you in my prayers. I'm continually praying this prayer. So whatever he is asking God to do in the Ephesian believers must be something that needs to keep happening in their lives. It's not a one and done kind of thing. This thing needs to keep happening in their lives. And so this pursuit we are to embrace is a lifelong pursuit. 
Fifth, I want you to notice that what he wants for the Ephesians is something that must come from God. It is not something that he can just give to them. It's not something that they can just muster up or gain or acquire on their own. They need God to give this thing to them. And so this is a prayerful pursuit. We're going to God, depending upon him, for whatever this thing is. Now, six, and finally, let's notice this thing itself, and then we'll dive into some of the details. What is it that Paul wants for the believers in Ephesus? What is it that we as believers, as followers of Christ, are to continually long for and continually continue to pray for, for ourselves and for others? Look at the end of verse 17. The spirit of wisdom and the revelation in the knowledge of Him. The spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. This is the heart of this prayer. This is what he is praying for. It's like, this is the request. I'm praying for the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him to be given to you. So there it is. The greatest thing we could know, it is God himself. Now, obviously, the believers already have knowledge of God. Verses 3 through 14 make no sense if they don't already know God, if they don't already have a relationship with him. He's saying in verses 3 through 14, all these blessings of salvation have been given to you. You've trusted in Christ. So in one sense, they know God already. So what does Paul mean by praying that they would know God? They would have knowledge of God. Well, it must mean that he wants them to know God better and better and better and better and better and better. When Paul prays for God to give them the knowledge of him, he wants them to grow in knowledge of the one true living God. And then in verses 18 through 19, Paul expands on this knowledge of God by listing three specific things that he wants them to know concerning the knowledge of God. And he wants them to know these things, these things better and better and better. So hopefully that gives us a little bit of the lay of the land of these verses. And uh, we can see from the text that this section of God's word is teaching us that the blessing of salvation will move us to embrace a lifelong prayerful pursuit of knowing God better. Now, let's dive in to these verses. Church, I pray that God will lead us today to long for the greatest knowledge ever and hopefully in the process improve our prayer lives as well. I want to share with you three characteristics that will mark a growing knowledge of God. And say, if I'm going to be growing in my knowledge of God, these three things are going to be true. These aren't necessarily the only things, but three things we learn in this passage that are going to mark a growing knowledge of God. The first is this. A growing knowledge of God will be marked by thankfulness for evidence of God's work of salvation. A growing knowledge of God will be marked by, number one, thankfulness for evidence of God's work of salvation. Before Paul ever gets to making his request, he gives thanks. He gives thanks. Verse 16, Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Now, what is it that prompted this continual thanksgiving? We go back to verse 15. First, it was all the blessings that were true of the believers in Ephesus because of God's amazing work of salvation. Remember, verse 15 begins with for this reason. In light of God's amazing work of salvation, I am giving thanks for you. But then he says something else. He doesn't just look back at the past, at the work of salvation God did in them, but he looks at the present, at what characterizes their lives right now. 
Notice what he says. He says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. He had heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and he had heard of their love toward all the saints. And so this thanksgiving is first prompted by God's amazing work of salvation. And then it's prompted by the evidence of salvation that he's heard about. Remember, Paul's in prison as he's writing this. He's not there in Ephesus, but he's heard about their faith in the Lord Jesus. And he's heard about their love toward all the saints. He's heard about this evidence of God's work of salvation in their lives. Let's think about these two parts of salvation, of evidence of salvation for just a moment. First, he's heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus. Friends, faith in the Lord Jesus is evidence of God's work of salvation in a person's life. If a person is not believing in Jesus, There's no way that person has received salvation. We looked at this last week. Faith in Jesus is absolutely necessary in order to be saved and blessed with salvation blessings. The main point of this passage is a prayer for deeper knowledge of God. But friend, please know that the way of salvation is not just to gain a deeper knowledge of God. In fact, as we'll see, the only way we can grow in true knowledge of God is if God is giving us this knowledge by means of his spirit. And if we look back at verse 13, we remember the only way we have the spirit of God in our lives is if we have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. So this call to embrace a lifelong prayerful pursuit of knowing God better is for people who already belong to God by his grace. It's not for people who are separated from God and need to belong to him. You see, these Ephesians can grow in knowledge of God because they've already believed in Jesus for salvation. They've received God's free gift of salvation through faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus is the starting point for us in knowing God. So if you've never believed in Jesus for salvation, then That's where you need to start. Listen, you can't run the race and you definitely can't cross the finish line until you've left the starting line. God sent Jesus to die in our place on the cross. His death, his sacrifice in our place is is the way that we're saved from our sin. He's the only way to be saved. Please, if you you don't hear anything else, because I don't want you to be confused. So many people in our world are confused by this. Increased knowledge is not the way to be saved. Faith in Jesus is the way to be saved. And so I just want to ask you even up front today, will you believe in Jesus if you've never believed in him? And if you have believed in him for salvation, then know that your faith in Jesus is evidence of God's work of salvation in your life. Because we've already seen and will continue to see in Ephesians that even the faith that we have, we give God the credit for that as well. He is the one who does that work of salvation. But then notice, secondly, that Paul has heard of their love for all the saints. It's not just faith in the Lord Jesus, but it says their love for all the saints that he has heard about. Christianity, salvation is not merely evidenced by Jesus, by faith in Jesus, but faith that leads to a change in our lives, a change that is characterized by love for one another. And James talks about this, that there is such a thing as dead faith. Well, we can say that we believe in God, but there's no change in our lives. But genuine saving faith always leads to genuine works produced by the Holy Spirit in our lives. If God has worked salvation in us, then the fruit of salvation will flow out of us with the chief quality of that fruit being love for one another. 
And Paul's going to give specifics regarding this love uh, that we have to one another and what it looks like on a practical level uh, in chapters 4 through chapter 6. But for now, we just need to note that love for the saints, love for fellow Christians will characterize those who have been blessed with salvation blessings. I love to go back to what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 35, where he said that by this, all people will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. And note that it's not just love to some of the saints here in the text, but it's love to all the saints. I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. That means salvation produces in us love for our brothers and sisters who are near to us and love for our brothers and sisters who may be distant from us, even geographically distant from us. Maybe maybe speak a different language than us, but we love them all. It means that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ who we really like, and we love the brothers and sisters in Christ who we find it really difficult to like. We love all of our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus. So Paul can give thanks for these Ephesians because of the evidence of God's work of salvation, their faith in Jesus and their love toward one another. Growing in knowledge of God begins there. We must be saved from our sin, producing evidence of that salvation in our lives if we think that we are going then to grow in our knowledge. And please hear me, we can grow in our knowledge. This is what Paul is praying for. But but it starts with believing in Jesus and being saved from our sin. This heart of thankfulness for God's work of salvation comes before even the request that we would grow in our knowledge. And here's just a little bit of practical, um, uh, a little bit of uh, how this kind of would play into our lives practically as we seek to know God better. This thankfulness for God's work of salvation, and we will keep that attitude of thankfulness, and we should, always before us, as we are growing in our knowledge of God, it will protect us from pride. Because what Satan would love to do in the lives of believers is to say, oh, yeah, grow in your knowledge of God. And then look how better you are than everyone else around you and start walking around a little a little more puffed up because, you know, more than that person does about the Bible or, you know, more than this person does about the Lord. That's what Satan would love to do in our lives. The pride goes before the fall. But if we'll remember that. All of this begins with God's amazing work of salvation in our lives that is a free gift from him that that we've done nothing to deserve. Then it will keep us humble on this lifelong prayerful pursuit of growing in our knowledge of God. Okay, number two, a growing knowledge of God will be marked by prayerful dependence upon the ongoing work of God. A growing knowledge of God will be marked by prayerful dependence upon the ongoing work of God. So we start with thankfulness for evidence of salvation, God's work of salvation, and then we're moving on to this prayerful dependence upon the ongoing work of God. At the end of verse 16, Paul says that he is remembering or making mention of the believers in his prayer in his prayers, and then verse 17 tells us what he's asking God to do. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. But you to first notice to whom Paul is praying. He's praying to God the Father. When we pray, we direct our prayers to God the Father. And notice that Paul acknowledges the character of God here. He, he includes adoration of God. He calls God the Father of glory. Or maybe you could say the glorious Father. 
I think Paul still has his mind back in verses 3 through 14. I mean, how could you not as a glorious God's plan of salvation is that we spent several weeks studying back in verses 3 through 14. I think Paul's mind is back there and he's just remembering the glory of God as his ultimate purpose of salvation always is his glory to the praise of his glory. So even as he now begins to pray for the believers, he's still remembering who it is he's praying to. And it is the God, the father of all glory. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. Remember the model prayer Jesus taught his disciples? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Addressing God as Father and remembering that his name is glorious. And that's exactly how Paul prays here. He's just taking his cues from the way that Jesus, his Lord, taught his disciples to pray. Now, what Paul wants to see in the lives of believers is something that only can come from God. And so Paul asks God to do it. It's a prayer to God. But he takes that a little step further. This need for God to do this work in their lives. He doesn't just pray to God. God, give them knowledge. But notice what he says. He says, give them the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. This is most likely a reference to the Holy Spirit. Most likely a reference to the Holy Spirit. This word revelation is only used in the Bible to refer to something that God does or that God gives. Only God provides this revelation. We don't necessarily have this this attitude or this um, nature of revelation in us. It's not a spirit of revelation that's in us. He's praying that the spirit of God, this spirit of wisdom and of revelation would then lead us into the knowledge of God. Church, the knowledge we need to grow in is a supernatural knowledge, which means we can only acquire it through supernatural means. You can think all you want about God. You can look at God's creation all you want. You can read and study God's word and be called a biblical scholar by others. You can do that and never actually grow in the real knowledge of the one true God. This is what I meant a a, a few minutes ago when I said there's so many people that are banking even perhaps their salvation on just knowing facts and information about God, but never having a relationship with the one true God. Now, why can we study God's word and, 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 and think about him all we want and never actually grow in true knowledge of God? It's because true knowledge of God, God's word tells us, only comes to us if God through his spirit reveals it to us. Or to put it another way, supernatural knowledge comes only through supernatural means. Yes, we participate in this. We want to study God's word diligently and we must if we want to grow in our knowledge of God. But diligent study of God's word, listen to this, that is not built upon a prayerful dependence upon the God whose word we studied will end up being a waste of time. If we don't come to God's word prayerfully depending upon God to teach us, God to open our hearts and eyes to see what his word says. It'll end up really just being a waste of time. We must depend upon the God whose word we read as we read it, as we study it in order to know more about him. You might you might come to God's word and increase in your knowledge of facts about God. You might be able to win a Bible trivia contest, but you'll never know God the way Paul wants his brothers and sisters in Christ in Ephesus to know the one true living God. Because this knowledge is not just a knowledge characterized by information, but it is a knowledge about God that is characterized by intimacy with God. 
Just as verses 3 through 14 taught us that our intimate relationship with God is, a completely, is completely a work of God, these verses here teach us that our growth in the knowledge of God, our growth in that intimate relationship with God, is also completely a work of God. He gets all the praise and the glory for it. And because we are to continually grow in our knowledge of God, it must be an ongoing work of God in our lives. And so, like Paul, we must not cease in asking God to fill us with the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. A growing knowledge of God will be marked by prayerful dependence upon the ongoing work of God in our lives. Now, let me share with you the third mark. Number three, a growing knowledge of God will be marked by a deepening comprehension of of God's salvation blessings. A deepening comprehension of God's salvation blessings. Again, if you're like me and you like knowing new things, maybe you're wondering, all right, let's get to the new knowledge, right? I'm ready to get to what, what is the new thing that we're going to learn? What is this new knowledge about God that Paul's praying for that we're sp- supposed to know and, 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 and get to know as God's people? I want to learn something new. Wow me. Amaze me with some new truth. Well, I don't want to burst your bubble of excitement, but the description Paul gives of this knowledge of God is, in a way, a repeat of what he said in verses 3 through 14. And perhaps that's one of the main things that we need to walk away from this passage today realizing. Here's what I mean. Verses 3 through 14 were all about, said it a million times now, God's salvation blessings, right? Verses 3 through 14 are all about God's salvation blessings. Now in verses 18 and 19, Paul basically repeats some of these salvation blessings and says that these are the areas in which the believers are to grow in their knowledge of God. Just think about it. Look here. He says that having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope. He speaks about the hope. Well, guess what? He mentioned the hope back in verse 12. He speaks about our inheritance, uh, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Well, guess what? We studied about that last week when we looked at verses 11 through 14. And then he speaks about the power of God toward us who believe, which in a way, if you think about it, it is what all of verses 3 through 14 were, were about. Right. This power of God to to use his grace and his predestining and adopting and redeeming and sealing power. All those words that we looked at his power to save us. Listen. It's not wrong to want to learn new things about God. I hope that you want to learn new things about God. We ought to be increasing in the information that we know about God as we read and study his word. But the knowledge that Paul is praying for here for these believers is not some new knowledge necessary, but it necessarily. But it is a deeper knowledge of the blessing they already know and possess. And this is so important, church, for us to Understand, because if we think that growing in our Christian walk means constantly learning new things that we, we've never known before, then either we're going to be frustrated when we read God's word because we think and we will think we're not growing because we'll come to God's word and we might walk away going, you know, I didn't really know, learn anything new in that passage of scripture. Sometimes people share that with me, right? I'm trying to read my Bible each day, but, you know, I don't always I don't always learn something new. Well, we might not always learn something brand new. And so it it could lead to frustration in our study of God's word. Or if we're dead set on making sure we have some new knowledge to then wow other people with, we'll end up inventing our own new knowledge of God if we're not careful. That doesn't actually come from his word. If there are things about God that he has revealed to us in his word that we haven't learned yet, then we definitely need to learn those things. But we shouldn't come to God's word 
only with a desire to learn new things, but also with a desire to grow deeper in our knowledge of what we already know, namely the gospel of Jesus and his blessing of salvation. Let me give you an example of what this looks like. What if I walked in next Sunday and I said, all right, title of our message today is the gospel, God's plan of salvation. You might be tempted to tune out, not just, I'm speaking to believers here. I'm speaking to people who are walking with the Lord. You you know God's word well. You might be tempted to tune out the message that day. And not just me as the preacher, but the Holy Spirit who is speaking God's word to us. As his word is faithfully and accurately taught. And if I ask you, oh, oh, why are you, if I could read your mind and say, well, why would you just tune out God's word? Why did you just kind of flip a switch and, and go somewhere else in your mind? It wouldn't be, you wouldn't say, oh, I don't like that. I don't believe in that. It might be that you say, oh, I already know that. I already know God's plan of salvation. And I think Paul would respond by saying, you're absolutely right. You do know it. You have believed in Jesus. But guess what? God wants you to grow in that knowledge of his love for you and his grace for you and his mercy towards you. He wants you to grow in your knowledge of how deep your sin is and how great a God he is in rescuing you from that sin. It's not learning something new all the time, but growing deeper and deeper and deeper into the greatest thing we could ever know, which is the God who has loved us enough to send his only son to rescue us from our sin. Growing in knowledge of God is not merely broadening the amount of information we know, but going deeper into the information and the relationship with God that we already know and have. Brothers and sisters, one of the marks of a healthy believer is the hunger to reread and relearn and restudy those ancient truths handed down through the ages, to go back to the ancient paths and walk them over and over and over again with the humble realization that we know far less than we even think that we do When it comes to the truths about God that we think we've already learned. And we definitely apply those truths to our lives far less than we perhaps think that we do. Paul helps us understand what he means by turning our attention back to the salvation blessings which we have in one sense already come to know. I mentioned that this knowledge we are to pursue is not just a knowledge characterized by information about God, but knowledge characterized by intimacy with God. You see, the, you see what I mean there? If it's just about growing, if growing a knowledge of God is just about gaining new information, then, then that's all we're going to look for. It's just some new thing, some new fact about God. But if, but if true knowledge of God means an intimate relationship with him, then I'm going to come to God and I'm going to say, God, I know that you love me, but help me to, help me to know your love better. God, I know that you are a just God, but help me to know your justice better. God, I know that you are a God of mercy, but help me to learn your mercy better. God, I know that you're a God who forgives, but help me to learn your forgiveness better in my life. We see here really the intimate nature of the knowledge that Paul is talking about when he gives these three 
specific areas of knowledge of God that he wants the believers to grow in. These areas of knowledge are not merely categories of facts about God, but they are all about our salvation and relationship with God. Notice that he says first that he wants them to know what is the hope to which he has called them. He wants them to know the hope of his calling, the hope of his calling. This knowledge is taking us back to God's salvation call in our lives, which produced gospel hope. What is the call? It's God's call to be saved. Remember, he chose us. He redeemed us. He sealed us. He called us to salvation. What is the hope here? It's the certain assurance of God finishing what he has started. The gospel hope means we patiently wait with humble confidence for God to make good on his promise to complete our salvation as we look back to his past work of salvation in our lives in which he called us to himself. Now, why would we want to grow in our knowledge of that? Why would we want to grow in our knowledge of the hope to which he has called us? Well, I think the deeper we understand the eternal hope we have and, and that it is founded upon God's call in our lives, which is Effective, meaning that when when God calls us salvation, we believe in Jesus. He's going to save us. He's going to finish that work in us. As we grow deeper in this hope, we grow in confidence in our salvation and confidence in living for him. And we grow in joy that our salvation is forever secure. That is the hope of his calling. As Paul says in Romans 5, 5, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so we want to grow in our knowledge of what is the hope of his calling. Second, we're to grow in knowing the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You see that phrase there at the end of verse 18. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Again, we talked about this last week in verses 11 through 14. We have an inheritance in Christ. What is this inheritance? Well, verse, seven, uh, verse 18 could be referring to God's inheritance, which are the saints. Like, that means God's possession, God's heritage, his reward of his work of salvation are the people whom he has redeemed. Or verse 18 could be talking about our inheritance, the eternal blessings that we will enjoy. But either way, it's drawing our minds to the future, to what is to come for every believer. In fact, we can kind of put those things together and say in one sense they're one and the same. What is coming for every believer, we will enjoy forever the inheritance of being God's inheritance for all of eternity. Our inheritance is to be his inheritance. And we get to enjoy that forever. And it's not something small. It's the riches. It's the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints that we are to know. Now, why would we want to keep learning that more and more and grow deeper in our knowledge of this inheritance? Well, not only is it going to lead us, I think, to a deeper praise of God, I believe it's going to motivate us to press on in our service to God. Friend, following Jesus isn't easy. If you think it is, perhaps you're not actually following Jesus. Because following Jesus is not easy. But as we grow deeper in our knowledge of what is to come, of God's inheritance, which belongs to his son and also to all who've been united to his son, as we look ahead to that glorious future, we're motivated to keep serving the Lord now, no matter how hard it is. Paul said as much to the Corinthians after reflecting on the truth that Jesus' resurrection means that all who belong to him will be resurrected one day and will have new bodies that will live forever and never be plagued again by sin and by death. He then said this in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, in light of what is to come, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, 
immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so as we grow deeper in our knowledge of the inheritance, the eternal future that awaits us as believers, we're motivated to keep serving the Lord. And and then finally, in verse 19, this, this other area of knowledge, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? We are to know the immeasurable greatness of his power according to the working of his great might. Paul wants the believers to know the power that is God's, that is their salvation. Friend, it's a power that is, Im- that is immeasurable in its greatness. Here, Paul piles up synonym after synonym after synonym to emphasize the mighty power of God. He, he uses the word power, which means the ability to do something. And then he uses the word working, which can be translated as energy or, or active power, power at work. Then he uses the word great, which can also be translated as strength or might, and it means the ability to overcome. And then he uses another word that can be translated as might, which seems to mean inherent strength. So just like we have in English all these synonyms, right, words that kind of mean the same thing but maybe have slightly different nuances, same thing in the Greek that Paul's writing in. And so he's using these different uh, synonyms that all basically mean the same thing but have their own slightly uh, nuanced meaning. We could maybe just put it this way. If we put all those definitions together, Paul is saying this, we are to know the immeasurable greatness of his ability to do what he said he would do toward us who believe according to the energy or the power in action of his ability to overcome everything flowing from his inherent strength. Or just to use the same word over and over and over, as one commentator said, it's as though Paul said, we are to know the immeasurable greatness of his power according to the power of his power of his power. Now, that power is pretty important, and it leads Paul not on a rabbit trail, but just to dive even deeper into the power of God in verses 20 through 23, where the supremacy of God's power is displayed most evidently in the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to say verses 20 through 23 for next week. Because we want to take a good dive into the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ and the greatness of God's power displayed in Christ. For now, we just need to know that we are to grow in our knowledge of God's incredible power, which is toward us who believe. Church, this isn't a power that we need to find or get. This is a power we've already experienced. This is the power that wrought our salvation as described in verses 3 through 14. This is nothing less than the glorious gospel of Jesus, which as Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Now, why would we want to grow in our knowledge of God's God's power? Two reasons. First, to humble us. To humble us. As we're reminded of how hopelessly lost we were before God saved us, it took the mighty power of God to raise us from our sinful death to new life in Christ, which Paul goes into detail in in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And then second, to empower us. First, we want to grow in the knowledge of God's power to humble us, but then also to empower us. To empower us as we're reminded that the same power that breathed new life into our dead hearts and overcame sin and Satan and death is the same power that is at work in us today and every day. And so as we grow in our knowledge of this power, we ought to grow in both our thankfulness to God for such a great salvation that he has wrought. And we ought to grow in our boldness to live for him as we live as ambassadors of Christ in this world. So do you see, are you beginning to see the importance of growing deeper in our comprehension of God's salvation blessings? 
We know this hope-filled calling and this glorious inheritance and this power of God. But we ought to long to know these majestic truths about God more and more deeply. And by God's grace, we will grow to know them more. By God's grace, through His Holy Spirit, we will grow to know them more and more as we grow to know God more and more. You see, these truths, the the hope of our calling, the glorious inheritance in the saints, the immeasurable greatness of His power, they are not truths separated from God, but they are truths that we know and enjoy and experience as we know God more and more. Why? Because it's His calling. The text says it's His inheritance. And the text says that it's His power. We know these things as we come to know God. This is why Tozier said that the most important thing about us is what comes into our minds when we think about God. This is why I said that the greatest knowledge that we could ever have is knowledge of God. Truly knowing God is not just learning cold facts on a page, but it is an intimate relationship with the one true and living God. And so a prayer for supernatural knowledge is actually a prayer to grow in our relationship with God, to know him better, to love him more and to serve him with greater faithfulness. And this isn't just a prayer for you to pray for yourself. Paul is praying this for other believers. And we ought to pray this for one another as well. Oh, church, that our prayers for ourselves and for one another would sound less like a wish list to a genie whose purpose is to give us our selfish wants and to make our lives easier and more like a humble recipient of God's amazing grace who knows and understands the greatest thing in all of life is to know God more. So that we can live for him better. To want that for us and for our brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to close by drawing your attention to a phrase that I skipped over. Beginning of verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Friend, I'm going to go back to kind of where we started The only way we can have such a knowledge as this, such intimacy with the Almighty God, is if God has replaced our sin-darkened hearts with light to be able to see and to understand and believe and enjoy and to live out this knowledge of Himself. How is it that He enlightens us? It's a simple but glorious answer. He enlightens us by the true light, who is the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. Zechariah prophesied a few months before Jesus was born that the long-awaited Messiah was getting ready to make His appearance. And He said this of Jesus in Luke chapter 1, verse 79, The sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Friend, Jesus is the light of the world. He alone can darken, uh, can enlighten our sin-darkened hearts. And so, I go back to that question I asked towards the beginning. Do you know the Son? Have you believed in Jesus? You see, if you want to know God, you've got to know His Son. To know the Son is to know the Father. And so, have you believed in Him? And if you have, then church... 
having known the blessing of salvation, may that blessing of salvation not lead us to complacency where we say, wow, I'm so thankful for verses 3 through 14. What a great salvation I have. And and then just sit back and do nothing with that salvation. But may it motivate us to embrace a lifelong prayerful pursuit of knowing this God better and better and better as the light of the world that Jesus Christ continues to shine His light in our hearts, in us and through us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. And we'll be finished. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. All glory to God. All praise to Jesus His Son. Let's know Him better and better and better. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for Your Word. God, even as I consider this passage of Scripture, it's convicting to think about how much attention and priority I place in my life on on other things. Than knowing you. God, even, even in this moment, it's so tempting. Even for me as I'm preaching to think about other things. To think about what else I have to do today. Or, or what's coming this week. Or, or all, all sorts of things that distract me from you. God, oh, that we would, we would see the the wonder and the beauty and the blessing of knowing You better and better. God, we will grow deeper in our understanding of and appreciation for salvation blessings that You have given to us. That as we consider what a great salvation You have given us through Your Son, Jesus Christ, that we would want to know that and experience that more and more in our lives, the effect of that salvation. God, it's only going to come as we know Jesus better and better. As Christ shines His light into our hearts. So, Father, thank You for the light of the world. That enlightens our sin-darkened hearts. So we can know the God of light, the Father of glory. Better and better and better. Thank You, Father. All glory to You and praise to Jesus, Your Son. Amen.